0: Just because you don't acknowledge the problem, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Amen, Roz Smith. What a week. Welcome to What a Week, where we break down the week's top news stories. I'm Greg Howenstein, filling in for Matt Sinovic, and I'm joined today by journalist and the undisputed queen of the Iowa political blogosphere, Laura Bellin from BleedingHeartland.com.
1: Thanks for having me, Greg. Uh,
0: so our first story uh, came out today. Uh, there are a couple stories in the Des Moines Register and Iowa Capital Dispatch about this report that's come out on the impact of the coronavirus on workers at meat processing plants, of which Iowa has many. Um, it's found that um, upwards of 85, almost 90% of the people infected Uh, were minorities, Um, but that data uh, is a bit lacking because Iowa declined to participate in the study. Why in God's name would we not want to participate in this study?
1: Well, it's a great question, and I've asked the Iowa Department of Public Health that myself. The Des Moines Register article said that someone who was a spokesperson for the agency said that they just didn't have time to provide the data. I find that hard to believe because the epidemiology team is supposedly monitoring outbreaks very closely. The biggest outbreaks we've had have been at the meatpacking plants.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an area of focus. Why wouldn't you devote all the resources you can to that?
1: Well, and they must have this data. It's, it's hard to believe that they don't have the data. The report says that they reached out to state public health departments on June 6th. It doesn't make clear what deadline they gave for turning around the data, but I don't really understand why the Iowa Department of Public Health wouldn't be able to get that data to the CDC. It's in everyone's interest to have the most complete and accurate data whenever the CDC releases the report.
0: Right, and isn't isn't Dr. Padati also on the National Coronavirus Task Force? Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that mean she has some sway?
1: Well, I think it, they claimed that she was invited to be on the National Task Force, but I, don't, I think that turned out to be not quite true. So I don't know that she serves on that task force. But there's really no reason why Iowa, especially given how many meatpacking plants we have, there's no reason why we shouldn't be participating. It's very clear that the meatpacking or the food processing industry has contributed to the massive racial and ethnic disparities in Iowa's COVID-19 cases. We can see that even from the data that's available on the state's website.
0: Right. You, you see these hotspots around the country. And and that's for a while, Iowa had what, three or four of the top 10 cities of the top 10 hotspots in the nation for, for outbreaks. And it was all, it was all cities that are, that have populations that work in these meatpacking plants where you're, you're in close quarters. It's, you know, either hot or cold, but it's, it's strenuous work. So you're, you're breathing heavy. It's, you're just, you're just asking for people to get infected
1: it's just a perfect environment for the virus to spread. And one thing I wanted to mention is that even this incomplete CDC report noted that there were 86 COVID-19 related deaths among people who work in meat and poultry processing. And that is massively understating the problem, even in the states that reported data. And I'll just give you one example of a story that was reported by Ryan Foley of the Associated Press in April. This was a family living in West Liberty that was ravaged by coronavirus. The um, mother works at an egg processing facility. She got the virus first. She didn't get very sick, but her husband and her daughter became extremely ill. And the husband unfortunately passed away. The daughter was on a ventilator for several weeks and recovered after that. But so the husband didn't work in food processing himself, right. but he still became ill and died of this virus because of an outbreak that happened in a food processing facility.
0: Right. It's it's the reason why so many people, even if they are healthy and and I'm I'm a part of this. I'm a healthy person. I rarely, if ever, get sick. I'll, I'll have allergies you know, seasonally, but I might get a cold or two. A year. Um, But my wife, on the other hand, is uh, immunocompromised. She's on um, medications for um, what we think is rheumatoid arthritis, but has never been diagnosed that way. But her immune system attacks her joints. And so if she's, if I were to carry this, I would not get sick, probably. Uh, But she could very well get gravely ill, or, or like this guy, you know, die. And, and my behavior has an effect on that.
1: Right. And it wouldn't necessarily be recorded in the statistic. I mean, depending on where you got exposed. Exactly. It wouldn't be recorded as a food processing related illness. Right. Another thing I wanted to mention is that in immigrant communities where many people work in meatpacking plants, there are also often in the same household who work as nurses' assistants or in other jobs at uh, nursing homes or other senior living communities. So it's very easy for an outbreak that starts in a meatpacking plant to spread throughout the community, sure. to, including to places that have some of the most vulnerable people.
0: It's not a, not a good situation.
1: I wanted to say one last thing about the racial and ethnic disparities yes. in Iowa, and a lot of this can be traced to the food processing industry, but the state's website, coronavirus.iowa.gov, does include details on cases by race and ethnicity. And right now, the percentage of cases that are confirmed to be Hispanic or Latino is about 23%. That's almost four times the ratio of uh, Latinos in the Iowa population, about 6% of Iowans are Hispanic or Latino but they make up 23% of the COVID-19 cases. And also in the Asian American or Pacific Islander community, about 6% of the COVID-19 cases come from that community, which is about 3% of the state's population. And African Americans are about 4% of Iowans, but about 9% of confirmed COVID-19 cases.
0: I, I feel like looking at numbers like this would... Make anyone just, just I mean one one it would make their jaw drop, but then it would make you want to participate in whatever study, whatever whatever contribution we could add to that data, so scientists and and doctors can better understand where they need to go, where resources need to be sent to treat this thing and to treat the people who have it. Uh, why we wouldn't want to be a part of that is. Uh, it's it's unconscionable. Uh,
1: I find it very discouraging. And also the Iowa Department of Public Health has never released the data they have on how many people who were working at meatpacking or food processing facilities have died of COVID-19. We know of at least five people just in the Waterloo Tyson plant. Right. There were at least two in the Columbus Junction Tyson, uh, Tyson plant. I think there have been several in Storm Lake area. But so it's clearly a very significant death toll already. And it's discouraging that they wouldn't want to do everything they can to help researchers study this problem.
0: Exactly, like the more data the better. That's how we're going to get out of this thing is by being transparent with the numbers. And you can, you can say you're transparent all day, but then when you don't, when you don't provide the data, uh, it tells a whole different story. Absolutely. So moving on to, uh, this November, we're running into roadblocks here in Iowa. And when it comes to voting and it's just, it's starting to get just silly now. Um, the Iowa secretary of state's office is fighting with county auditors over this new, uh, last minute elections law that makes it harder for the secretary of state to get people absentee ballots, um, and they're, they they're trying to enforce this law, but they may be doing it incorrectly. Um, you wrote a whole big story on this. Um, why don't you walk walk us through that story?
1: Well, this whole situation is absurd because the Republicans should have looked at our very successful primary and taken the win and said, "Hey." We had record turnout. Look at what the Republican Secretary of State did. It worked really well. Let's do it again in the general election and break our turnout record for November. And then everyone would have been happy. And it also would have been safer for people. So it's hard to understand why any of this came about. But the first part of the story is that Republicans passed a law in June that says the Secretary of State can't use his emergency powers to change anything about an election without permission from the Legislative Council. And that is a body that consists of legislative leaders and Republicans have most of the seats on the body. Now, I should say that I actually think that Paul Pate has the authority to send out absentee ballot request forms to all Iowans, even without using his emergency powers, because the Iowa Code does say that the state election commissioner can set uniform practices and procedures. And I spoke last month with Gary Dickey, who is an election lawyer in Des Moines, or he has worked on a number of election cases. Right. And he said that sending everyone an absentee ballot request form could easily be seen as a uniform practice and procedure. So I really question the basis for this. But in any case, Paul Pate used his emergency powers to issue this statewide absentee ballot request form mailing, and the Republican legislators have said they don't want him doing that again. The other side of it is he extended the early voting period for the primary from 29 days to 40 days, and he has indicated that he's not going to try to do that for November. So absentee ballots and early voting in person will begin on October 5th rather than in late September, and that could cause some problems, uh, bottlenecks at county auditor's offices.
0: Sure, you have, you know, maybe the, the larger counties may have the staff to handle that, but, you know, your, your medium-sized and small-sized counties might not have, uh, you know, the person power to, to count through all those ballots and get their, get their day jobs done.
1: Yes, and I think we all know that when kids are back in school, uh, there's likely to be an uptick in COVID-19 cases, just like in general, we have more influenza cases in the fall. And so we really should be encouraging everyone to vote early and reduce everyone's exposure in October, November if we can.
0: And uh, folks can request an absentee ballot now.
1: As everyone can download the form from either the secretary of state's office or their county auditor. I mean, one issue with that is that you can't submit the form online. And a lot of people don't have printers or don't have access to a printer. So that's another reason why the mailing was very helpful before the primary. And um, a lot of the larger counties are going to send a universal mailing. And that's why this whole thing was maybe a big strategic error for Republicans as well as bad for democracy, because if the voters in Lynn County and Johnson County and Polk County and Black Hawk County and so on all get absentee ballot request forms, but many people in the rural Republican-leaning counties don't get one in the mail, then it could put Republican candidates at a disadvantage.
0: And here here I am, a a died in the died in the wool progressive i actually i want all of those people to get their absentee ballots i want them to get their ballots in the mail so Absolutely. that they can so that they can vote and have their voice be heard and if you know if the the republican wins okay so be it but i just i want everyone to vote and you'd think that would be the default but you would think not. so
1: I mean, the Republican campaigns and the Republican Party, they will be sending out their own absentee ballot request for a mailing. And so they may be calculating that it's better for them if they just go by their party list. But I'm not sure that's true. I mean, Trump definitely benefited in 2016 from people who didn't vote often or maybe hadn't even voted before at all mm-hmm. and people being inspired to participate. And so it's not really clear to me that a party list mailing of people who are committed Republicans would actually work to the benefit of Donald Trump and Joni Ernst. I mean, maybe a universal mailing would help Joni Ernst. I don't know.
0: Maybe, but you also have Donald Trump out there calling mail-in ballots fraud every other day. Right. Um, Even though local-level campaigns aren't doing it. I, I see a notable contrast between Donald Trump and David Young um, David Young's campaign was all in on mail-in ballots for this primary. Um, so, I, I mean, I know yeah, why, I know I, why I there's mean, a disconnect, but... Uh,
1: Terry Branstad really worked on getting the Iowa Republican Party to catch up on voting by mail. I mean, the Democrats had a big advantage, and Republicans made some inroads in 2010 and 2014, mm-hmm.
0: for sure. I w- I was there. Yeah. Party headquarters, I I remember.
1: (laughs) But anyway, oh, the other part of the story that I didn't get to that you mentioned, the uh, Lynn County Auditor Joel Miller and the Johnson County Auditor Travis Wipert have said that they are not only going to send out an absentee ballot request form to every registered voter, they are going to pre-fill the information On that form so that when you get the form you can just look at it and make sure if the information is correct then you can just return it sign it and return it and if anything needs to be corrected with your address or anything else then you can change it and in theory that's going to reduce the number of mistakes and incomplete applications that people send in for an absentee ballot and that's what the Secretary of State's office is really objecting to now because they just want blank forms Mailed to everybody, it's so and dumb. they're trying. It's very dumb, and it's they're trying to claim that the law doesn't allow county auditors to do this. But Joel Miller told me that he sent voter registration cards to every Lynn County voter before the twenty twelve and twenty sixteen elections. That set had all their information and where their polling place was. And that includes some confidential information, but he's allowed to send voters their own confidential information. Right. There's the law that the Secretary of State's office was citing this week was the open records law. So that just means someone like me, I can't write to the Lynn County Auditor and say, Hey, send me Ashley Hinson's voter pin. You know, that w- <laughs> that's a confidential record, right? They're not gonna release that to me. But they can send Ashley Hinson her own voter pin.
0: Right. Like they do on the card that they send you that exactly. everybody loses immediately. Right. <laughs> I could I couldn't tell you I mean, gun to my head, I couldn't tell you where my uh, where my card is, what my pin is uh, so
1: Yeah And we're political people. I mean, when the when the Iowa Senate was debating this this legal change at like three, four in the morning on June 14th, at one point, Senator Zach Walz stood up there and he said, I will buy you a beer if any senator in this chamber can tell me the last four digits of your voter (laughs) pin." Nobody knows that. And that's why a lot of people make a mistake like since they don't know their PIN, they'll just put down their last four digits of their social security number. Right,
0: because that's what you used to be able to put there.
1: Right, and and that's a number that most people know because it's a number that you often have to provide in sure. other contexts. And so the identity of the voter is not really in question because the county auditor's office, they can look at this, and they have the last four digits of everyone's social. So they can say, oh, yeah, this is the right person. They just put the wrong number in. And so the way the republicans changed the law the county auditors can't easily correct those mistakes anymore again so dumb like very dumb this is this
0: is just actively tying the hands of our county auditors the ele- the elected experts in elections these are the people who administer elections you are not allowing them to correct simple mistakes that anyone could make
1: yes and uh, Senator Nate Bolton pointed out that a lot of people might transpose two numbers, especially uh, seniors or someone with dyslexia. Right. Like you know, they might put down that they live at 2435 instead of you know 2345. And so again, if the auditor can look at the database, they would say, "Oh, all the other information is correct, and they just obviously mixed turned around these two numbers." I should say, I don't think that this new law is going to hold up in court, but I also don't know that a court would necessarily put a stay on it before the election. I wouldn't be surprised, though, that if there's a lawsuit filed that a court says this can't go into effect before the November 2020 election, because it is very illogical and irrational, and it's similar to a regulation that was in an administrative role from the Secretary of State's office that a court already struck down.
0: Yeah, and it's also just a, the elections just a few months away and we're in pretty unique circumstances so uh, Right.
1: I, I mean I, I the imagine government suit
0: is is starting to get underway. Do you know do you know anything about that?
1: I don't know exactly when it's going to be filed. I know for sure that there are plans to sue over this and it should be an easy win when a court finally considers it because the government is not gonna be able to show any legitimate interest in county auditors not being able to consult the voter database.
0: Yeah, it, it makes no sense whatsoever.
1: Normally, I like to encourage people to vote early in person. That's the way I prefer to vote. But this year with the pandemic, I'm encouraging everyone to vote by mail. So if you're sure that you won't move before October, go ahead and get that absentee ballot request form in right away. And if you're going to move before October, then wait until you're in your new residence, transfer your voter registration to your new address, and then get that absentee ballot request form in.
0: Agreed. It's, it's the best way to vote in your underwear without getting weird stares from your neighbors. <laughs> right. That's what I always say. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining uh, the podcast this week.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Greg. <laughs> I always like talking politics.
0: Yes. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by me, Greg Halenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe so more people can find us. See you next week on What a Week.